Shalom Alekum. Peace be upon you, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Today we are looking at this week's Torah Parsha, and uh, it's a big one, and a very, very important one, and it's one of those portions that you really wish you had three hours and I got up extra early this morning to make sure I had enough time to cover the pieces that I felt I needed to lend uh, a lot of time to. Um, it's just one of those portions that's just got so many important events that contains so much doctrine, that contains so much truth, that contains so many lessons and foreshadows, and it's really, it's, it's an awesome, awesome section of scripture. Let me just give you the portion summary. This week's portion is called Vayira. So the fourth reading from the book of Genesis is named Vayira. It means, and he appeared. Because the first story describes how the Lord appeared to Abraham one day as he sat outside his tent. Section Vayira continues with the series of tests of faith for Abraham, concluding in one great and final trial. So here's kind of the outline. Uh, this is Genesis 18 through 22. You've got God literally appearing with two angels, and I'm going to prove that very easily with Scripture that it is God um, appearing with to Abraham with two angels. He then promises that the son is going to be born, and we have the famous laughter from Sarah. We have judgment pronounced on Sodom. We have the depravity of Sodom. We have Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. We have the shameful origin of Moab and Ammon, which is one of those things we don't have a lot of time to dig into. But study Moab and Ammon, those nations, but we have their shameful origin, which we'll read about. We have Abraham and Sarah at Gairir, where she is taken from him again by another king. We have the birth of Isaac. We have Hagar and Ishmael sent away. We have Abraham and Abimelech making a covenant. Then we have the crazy story where Abraham is commanded to take his only son whom he loves and sacrifice him on the mount. And so we have all these things going on. I'll do my best to touch up on on many of these, but really we need, like I said, about three hours, and we're going to stuff it all into about 45 minutes. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is extremely important to us and to our generation today for so many reasons. According to Peter, and I'm going to read it to you, Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened there was for an example to future generations who would dare to be that depraved, who would dare to be that ungodly. We live in a world today where it's not just a nation, it's not just the United States who is like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's most of the world We've become so depraved, so evil. There hasn't been this level of filth since the days of Noah and Lot. Which is interesting because Jesus says the last days will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And we're going to get to that here in a second. Let me read a couple of verses from Second Peter and then we will start the story. We'll start our reading uh, by Yira. Here's what Peter says, chapter 2, in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 4. He's talking about judgment and the end of time. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, remember those were the angels in Genesis chapter 6, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, 
making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And we're going to stop there and start our portion. But I don't know about you, but I feel like Lot in many ways where my soul is just vexed daily from the things that I am hearing and the things that I am seeing. But the good news is, is verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly and reserve the unjust for the day of judgment to be punished. Let's begin our portion for this week. Vaira, chapter 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Please note, right out of the gate, who appeared to Abraham? The Lord, it's the capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah appeared. Verse 2, And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself towards the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. And therefore, ye, therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. Please note. These three men show up, and Abraham knows immediately that these aren't just men, right? As soon as he sees them, he rushes towards them and pleads with them to stay and to not leave quickly, right? I think this is all, this is beautiful. We have we have God and two angels in the form of men appearing to Abraham, and. Abraham just wants them to stay, right? And we can all kind of relate to that. Verse 6, And Abraham hastened unto the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the earth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and hastened to dress it. And he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of a woman. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child when which I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At that time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. All right, so stop right there for a second. Abraham and Sarah are in their 90s. They've been promised a son for a very, very long time. Okay, they've been waiting a long time. They even tried to do their own little plan where Sarah gives Abraham her handmaid Hagar 
And Abraham impregnates Hagar, and she bears Ishmael, and God says, No, you're going to have a son with Sarah. Well, now the Lord has appeared, and he says, Hey, I'm going to return according to the time of life. So he's probably sent, meaning nine months, you know, however long it takes for a child to be ready to be born. Sarah's laughing, thinking, I'm so old. Am I really going to have pleasure? We're kind of past that season this end in our lives. Uh, and furthermore, my master, my husband, he's old also. And then the Lord confronts and says, why is she laughing? And of course, she's afraid. She says, I didn't laugh. And he's like, uh, yeah, you did. But then he just goes on to complete what his thought. Here's where things start to get wild. Then the men rose up thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, by the way, this is, again, the word Yehovah in the Hebrew. Okay, So Yehovah said, in other words, God says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed of him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they should keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. All right. So two of the men, which are two angels, are heading towards Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord stays there with Abraham, and Abraham's going to have a conversation, a very interesting conversation with God, uh, an intercessor-style conversation, if you will. Abraham knows that his nephew Lot, along with Lot's wife, Lot's several children, are there in Sodom. Try to imagine this. Family members you love are there, and these two angels are walking that way getting ready to burn the place down according to what God just said. Verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked. And the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Now please note, this is, first of all, a gutsy move, right? I mean, this isn't like Abraham's off in his prayer closet. He's standing before Jehovah. Obviously in the form of a man, or it could be the angel of the Lord, but either way it's God speaking. And he's like, are you really going to destroy the right? What if there's 50 righteous people in that city? You're going to burn them with the ungodly, with the unrighteous? That's not the right thing to do or the godly thing to do. Will the creator of all things not do the right thing? I've often wondered, looking at the world, looking at the United States, the country I live in, and think, why hasn't God just nuked everything? This is so filthy, so disgusting. I can hardly cast my own eyes on it. And I'm nothing as far as righteous as the Lord. How can he tolerate all this? And I have to remind myself that what Jesus said. That the wheat and the tares have to grow together. And then at the time of harvest, then they will be separated. And the tares will be burned. And the wheat, the good fruit, gathered into the barns. You see, if, you're, if you've done any gardening in your life, if you go out there and you pull that weed that's right in there with the plant, you'll pull the plant out too. So you have to wait until the harvest. And then you can pull them out together and take the fruit. 
That's the scenario that Jesus paints. The good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous, they're growing together and they're tangled with one another. And we can't pull the weed too soon or we risk the fruit. We have to let them grow. And then at the day of harvest, then it'll all be sorted out. Then it'll all be separated. That's why things are continuing to go on, even though it's unthinkable the level of depravity that we find ourselves in. In this moment, Abraham knows his family. He's got family down there. And so he somehow summons up the courage to question God. And then God is so kind to Abraham. Let's continue on. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? Verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom, Fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have now taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which I am but dust and ashes. So Abraham's acknowledging the absurdity that he himself would dare speak to God, but he can't help himself. He admits, I've taken it upon myself to speak to you, but admittedly, I am dust and ashes. Verse 28, Preadventure, there shall lack five of fifty righteous. Will thou destroy all the cities for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. He said to him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Preadventure, that there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, now I have taken it upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. So Abraham reasons with God. And God says, gets him all the way down to ten. And many ask, many wonder, well, why would Abraham stop at ten? Why not go down to one or whatever? I'm thinking Abraham's thinking there's got to be at least ten righteous there, right? I mean, there can't be that many. It can't be that sparse of a situation. And he's thinking, I know at least my nephew Lot and his wife. and mother. Probably thought there was no reason to go further than that. But he was wrong. And here's the tragic story of Sodom and really the tragic story of Lot. Because the way this all ends with Lot is devastatingly horrible. We're going to try to put ourselves in Lot's shoes... And maybe if we do that, we can come to an understanding of why this happened with him. Let's begin this story, starting with verse 1 in chapter 19. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing then, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. Please note, even Lot recognizes that these two are not normal. Verse 2, and he said, Behold, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. Please note, this is problematic for Lot. And on this broadcast, we have read stories about Genesis out of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other historical documents. Lot knows what happens in those street cities at night, and he's got some real reservation about these two men of God that he knows are not normal men staying in those streets. So he's going to plead with them, please don't stay here, come to my house. And he pressed upon them greatly. In other words, he begged them. And they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Another thing important to note is many believe that this is taking place right after Passover during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because 
Why else would Lot be making unleavened bread? Interesting. Continue on. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, and all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. By the word that way, <laughs> that word know, it's a picture of intimacy. They, You get the picture. It's the King James's way of just kind of keeping it PG. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after them. And he said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and you do to them as good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Please note, I admit that this is troubling. And you'll see commentary and people try to make excuses for Lot. Well, he knew these two men were godly and he's just putting the, the angels before his own and blah, blah, blah. It still shows a real lack of heart towards his daughters. I mean, why isn't he just offering himself up if, he's, if this is a sacrificial type of thing? Nonetheless, women and daughters were not viewed in the proper light at this point in time and we're not going to get into all those aspects but yes lot does offer his two virgin daughters in the place of the angels but it doesn't matter because the men are not interested in the women they want the two men verse 9 and they said stand back and they said again this one fellow came in to sojourn and he needs to be a judge now we will do worse with thee than with them and they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot back into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou any besides, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? So the angels smite the people with blindness, bring Lot back in, and they say, Do you have anyone else that belongs to you, son-in-laws, daughters, whatever? You need to get them gathered up and bring them. And they say, Why? Verse 13, For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14, And Lot went out, and he spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. Okay, this is so these are sons-in-laws of married daughters, not the two virgin daughters that he was offering up to the crowd. So he's got other daughters, other family. So he goes to his sons-in-laws and he says, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. In other words, his son-in-law didn't take him seriously. Like They were like, what is going on with this guy? And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Don't miss what just happened there. Lot was messing around, lingering around, didn't want to leave. And so the angels grabbed him, his wife, and his two daughters and pulled them out of the city. Why? Because of God's great mercy. What did we just read in Peter? The Lord knows how to preserve the righteous. He's merciful to his own. He's kind to his own. This is such great mercy that he shows, but it starts to go downhill for Lot even still. Verse 17. 
And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plains, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O, oh, not so, my lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. O, oh, let me escape thither. Is not it a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow the city for, the, for which thou hast spoken. <laughs> so Lot doesn't want to go to the mountain. He wants to go to this other city that he sees in the distance. God, being merciful yet again, permits it. Verse 21, and he said unto him, see, okay, verse 22, hasten thee, escape thither, for thou cannot do anything until thou come thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Please note, People always try to say, was it a volcano? Was it meteorite? Let me tell you what it was. The Bible tells you. Very clearly. Here's the answer to that question. What was it? And the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. It was a supernatural destruction from heaven. Verse 25, And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Please note, Abraham flees the city of Zoar, and it rains fire and brimstone down. They were commanded to go and to not look back. Whatever you do, do not look back towards the city that we literally had to drag you out of because you didn't want to leave. The wife looks back. She's turned to a pillar of salt. She's judged. This is important, especially for us today, because we're living at a time when this world is being stripped away. And if you're white-knuckling this world, you'll be stripped away with it. What did Messiah say? Let's go to Luke chapter 17. When he was asked about the end of the age, about the end of time, here's what he says. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus is making a point that, hey, the general population thought it was business as usual, right? They were going on with their lives. They were getting married. They were doing normal things. There was no heads up about this, okay? The world thought it was going to just keep going. But then the judgment came. The minute that God's righteous were preserved and moved to a place of protection, the severe wrath came. The flood as one example, Sodom and Gomorrah as the other example. But let's continue on. Let me read verse 29 real quick again. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day which he, on that day, he which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. Or he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. In other words, don't be going back for your garbage. The trinkets of this world. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Jesus is saying that's the outcome 
when you're clinging to this world. Now, we can all try to sympathize with Lot's wife. She had children still there, right? The sons-in-laws and her other daughters refused to go. I'm sure they had friends there. It's awful situation. It would be very difficult not to look back. But it was still disobedience and it was still sin. Let me read you some commentary from Matthew Henry. And again, I apologize. We're spending so much time on Sodom and Gomorrah, which means we're not going to have much time for the other stuff. But this is important and it speaks to our generation. The great commentator, Matthew Henry. Here's what he says. Remember Lot's wife. As by example of Sodom, the wicked are warned to turn from their wickedness. So by the example of Lot's wife, the righteous are warned not to turn from their righteousness. The sin of Lot's wife, she looked back from behind him. This seems a small thing. But we are sure by the punishment of it that it was a great sin and exceedingly sinful. She disobeyed an express command and so sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, which ruined us all. Unbelief was at the bottom of it. She questioned whether Sodom would be destroyed and thought she might still have been safe in it. She looked back upon her neighbors whom she had left behind with more concern than was fit. Now their day of grace was over, and the divine justice was glorifying itself in their ruin. Probably she hearkened after her house and her goods in Sodom, and was loth to leave them. Christ imitates this to be her sin, which we just read out of Luke chapter 17. She too much regarded her stuff. Her looking back her looking back evinced an inclination to go back and therefore our savior uses it as a warning against apostasy from our christian profession we have all renounced the world of the flesh and have set our faces heavenward we are in the plain upon our prohibition and it is our pearl if we return into the interest we profess to have abandoned, drawing back is to perdition, and looking back towards it, let us therefore fear. And then he quotes Hebrew 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into the rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. The punishment of Lot's wife for this sin. She was struck dead in the place, yet her body did not fall down, but stood fixed and erect like a pillar or a monument, not liable to waste or decay as human bodies exposed in the air are, but metamorphed into a metallic substance which would last perpetually. Come, behold the goodness of the servant of God towards Lot, who went forward goodness towards his wife, who looked back severity. Though she was nearly related to a righteous man, though better than her neighbors, and though a moment of disgusting mercy, of distinguishing mercy in her deliverance out of Sodom, yet God did not convene Kenev at her disobedience. For great privileges will not secure us from the wrath of God if we do not carefully and faithfully improve them. This pillar of salt should season us since it is such a dangerous thing to look back let us always press forward then he quotes philippians chapter 3 brethren i count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing i do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before i press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of god in Christ Jesus. Now let's continue on because we've burned a lot of time on this subject, haven't we? Let me get my bearings here. So Abraham looks towards Sodom, and he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. You see, God knew that all of that interceding that 
Abraham was doing, at the heart of it, he was concerned about his nephew Lot, and because of God's mercy towards Abraham, he rescued Lot. But unfortunately, things for Lot are about to take a turn even worse. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain. And his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Interesting to note, let's not miss this. The angels told Lot to go to the mountain. He said, no, I want to go to Zoar. So he goes to Zoar, they spare Zoar, and then Lot ends up leaving Zoar and going to the mountain anyway. Verse 31. Here's where it gets wild. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the seed of our father. So the daughters have come to the conclusion that either the whole world's been destroyed, or there's no men left that can impregnate them. Either way, they can strive this crazy plan to make their father drunk and to lie with him to be pregnant. Verse 33, And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and laid with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. So apparently, according to this, Lot's so drunk that he doesn't even know what's happening. And before you start judging Lot about being so drunk that he doesn't know what's happening, please remember that his other daughters and his friends and everything he knew was just burned to a crisp, and his own wife is also dead. He just went through a very unimaginable event. So maybe not be so hard on him about the wine. Verse 34. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I laid yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go in thou and lie with him, that, he, that we may preserve our seed for our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose, Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. And the name of the, is the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name Benamin. And the same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So that's the story of the Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. Now we have to just kind of push through quickly through the next two chapters uh, to wrap up the story, which means there's not going to be a lot of commentary. Um, so let's just move forward. And Abraham sojourned from thenceforth to the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned at Garir. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerir, sent and took Sarah. I do have to take a minute to note this, that even in Sarah's 90s, she's so desirable and appealing that King Abimelech is still taking her from Abraham. Just an interesting thing to note about how people aged differently back then. You know, for for them, 90 is like 40 for us is the way I'm imagining it. Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near to her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she even herself said, He is my brother, in the integrity of my heart, and in the of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I I know that thou did this thing in integrity of thy heart, for also I withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. There's a doctrinal, doctrinal thing to uh, debate and think upon. I'm not going to get into it. But it's interesting to note that God kept Abimelech from sinning against him. It says that he did. He said, I withheld thee from sinning. Therefore I suffered I thee not to touch her. 
something to chew on. Verse 7, Now therefore restore this man his wife, for he is a prophet. And then he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, and he called all the servants, and he told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham, and he said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sayest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife, for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is the kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall go, come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleases thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. We don't know how long they were there, but long enough to where they were noticing that they couldn't bear children. So, a decent time. Verse 21, the birth of Isaac. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare unto him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that I hear will laugh with me. All that are here will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham and Sarah should have given children suck? For I have been born a son in his old age. And a child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing that was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let, not, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of the bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, Hearken unto her voice, for Isaac shall be thy seed, be called. Isaac thy seed shall be called. And also the son of the bondwoman, I will make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he took bread and a bottle of water, and he gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went, and she sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of my child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went, and she filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad to drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Philcol, the chief captain of the host, spake unto Abraham, saying, 
God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now, therefore, swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet have I heard of it but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called the place Beersheba, because there they swore both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Philcol, the chief captain of the host, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou hast lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering upon of the mountains which I tell thee of. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass, and he took two of his young men with him, Isaac and his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham's son said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I, the lad, will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And Abimelech took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to a place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood on in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him upon the altar of wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out at him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered him up on the burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall be the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, whose firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Camille the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Fildash, and Jilpha, and Bethuel, and Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Ruamah, she bare also Teba, and Gaham, and Thahash, and Makaah. That is the end of this long portion. Obviously, you do not have to be a great theologian to know that this story 
about offering Isaac up on the altar, Abraham's only son whom he loves, is a picture, a foreshadow of God who would offer up his only son. Isaac asked his father, where is the offering? And Abraham in faith said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And the ram took the place of Isaac, just like Christ takes our place today. Beautiful picture. It should be obvious to us all. There's so much here. There's so much more we could talk about. But we are at 50 minutes now, and I am long out of time. I hope and pray that you've been blessed this morning by this, that this has pierced your hearts. I hope that you take that Sodom and Gomorrah story and the story of Lot's wife, looking back into the world and the words of Jesus and Peter as it relates to that story. I really hope that it stirred you and gives you perspective, especially in light of the times that you were living in. That's all I have for you this morning, friends. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.